The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Hi, my name is Brooks Angelo from City Youth, and I'll be reading Philippians 2, 3 to 4. Please stand with me for the reading of Philippians 2, 3 to 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not only not to his own interest, but rather to the interests of others. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah. Sup, fam? Good to see you this morning. Hey, give another hand to Brooks. We got to baptize him last year. What a special moment to see, uh, to see, Brooks, just your, your growing up in your faith. I love it. And, uh, and uh, these are very scary people from the front. You all don't realize it, but the back of your heads are a lot less scary than the front of your faces. And so Brooks being able to stand up here is a big deal. Super proud of you, bud. Great, great job. Um, well, welcome. Again, welcome. We're so glad you're here. This is the Burbank location of Story City Church. We are a collective of churches with a shared leadership vision and mission. In fact, today, today is the one-year anniversary of Granada Hills Church Plant this morning. Yeah. That is amazing. What an incredible thing to celebrate. They're having a good time over there this morning. Uh, if not, they will be shortly, so uh, it's going to be good. If you haven't checked out that location, I highly recommend go see it. It's still Story City, but it's because it's Granada, it's got a little bit different Granada vibe than Burbank vibe, which is how it's supposed to be. And so uh, definitely I would encourage you, go check it out. We're the same church. Uh, Pastor Samir is doing a great job over there. We as a collective of churches deeply love the Valley and Los Angeles, and we want to see Jesus-centered neighborhood Loving churches planted in every city in the valley. That's a part of what we are excited that God is going to do. For those of you joining us for the first time online or in person, we are excited that you're here. We, we hope to hear your story. Your story matters. We want to get to know you. Uh, if you didn't receive, obviously not online doesn't work that way, but if you are in person and you didn't receive your gift, um, please see the next steps table. That's what we were talking about, the pink lanyards on the way out. Uh, it's under the same tent as when you came in, and they will um, get you your, your free gift. We as a church exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships in Jesus, with Jesus and others. What does that mean? It means that each of us has a story that matters. Every one of us has a story that matters. And as we build community, we learn how to appreciate other people's stories. There's a lot of people's stories here that are going to be radically different than your own. And there'll be a few that are very similar to yours. As we learn how to appreciate people's stories, then we learn how to journey with each other as we discover how our stories are connected to Jesus and each other. Now Jesus said two commands summed up all the prophets, all the scriptures. It says it hangs on these two things. And what is it? The first is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Everything we have, everything we are. And the second, he said, is equal to it, to love our neighbor in the same way that we love ourselves. Now, what does that mean? It means we extend the same rights, the same privileges, the same grace, the same belief that their intentions are good, 
and not just jump to, well, their intentions must mean this, that we want ourselves to have when we're dealing with other people. Bless you. That's what Jesus called us to do. Bless you. Yeah. I want to take a moment, and I think this is a good way for us to really understand what we mean by some of this healthy church and and how we, when I say family, what does this mean? And so here's the deal. I want to take a moment to let you know some of the ways that this church handles care. And uh, I'm going to talk briefly about them, but if you want to know more, please contact us at care at storycitychurch.com and we'll be happy to provide information or assistance. First, uh, our director of care is my wife, Monique. Monique is a licensed marriage and family therapist. You can cheer for her. That's fine. I I mean, I'm going to... She'll be here next service, so I'll make you cheer for her next service, but, you know. Uh, anyway, she is a licensed, licensed marriage and family therapist, and so if you need assistance, she and her team will actually help guide you through an intake process to figure out the best way to walk alongside you. And that could be some, something as simple as, I just need a mentor. I'm dealing with a work issue, and, and I could use somebody in my field that will help me understand uh, how to handle this thing. It could be that you need a biblical counselor. Hey, this is deeper, and I'm wrestling through this understanding. Or you may need a therapist. And we have mentors and biblical counselors here at Story City in a partnership with La Cunada Family Therapy for our uh, therapists when it's appropriate. Additionally, we offer gift certificates to shop at the Community Outreach Center's Sun Valley Market if you uh, are in need of food. They have uh, food at low cost or no cost if you need it, but we do have gift certificates so you can walk in and shop for free there if you need those. That's one of the ways we do it. We can also provide some financial assistance through our Congregation Assistant Fund. That is always dependent on who has been able to give to that fund, but ultimately we are able to provide some of that and we are also in the beginning stages of launching a Celebrate Recovery program here, which is awesome. If you're not familiar, Celebrate Recovery is a Christian's 12, 12-step program, but it's for everybody. It's not just drugs and alcohol. It handles things like codependency, things like anger, food addiction, pornography, the effects of abuse, and being a Taylor Swift fan, <laughs> and so much more. These are just some of the ways that, that Story City is actually working to, when we say care, this is some, just some of the things we're talking about. We didn't even get into how we care for each other in our missional community groups and other ways. But this is what we're talking about. And I want you to see that and know that because this is a part of what, when we, we talk about being good stewards of our finances, this is a part of all of that goes into. That, that we're not just like, you know, we do keep lights on and, and pay salaries, and that stuff's all important, but as a part of how we love each other and love our community, that's what we're doing with all of the stuff that we do. And so that's really important because we as a family need to support and care for each other. Good? Good. Some of you are like, I'm not sure. That's okay. It's early. Get up, grab a cup of coffee. You'll be all right. Let's get to our minute to mingle question for the day. Yes, it was wordy. Yes, it was wordy, but it's a little bit difficult to get to this question without it. So here's the deal What's the difference? between imitating somebody in an unhealthy way and imitating somebody for the glory of God. And some of you might even be going, well, how do you imitate somebody for the glory of God? That's why we asked the question. So what do you guys have? Second one glorifies God. Yeah, that, that's true. That's, it's in the question itself. That's true. Let, let me ask you this question. Why would we imitate somebody? What are some of the reasons that you've imitated somebody in your life? You respect them. Okay, great. They imitate Christ well. Okay, that's the church answer. Yep, I like that. That's good. Thank you. Somebody's got to give it. Ah, they got a good reaction from somebody. You like what you see, how you see people react to them. That's a great one. 
to gain favor. Yeah, that's, there are some people that they will uh, imitate others to gain relational currency 100%. That's a great, great observation. What else? Ooh, that's a good one. They are who you want to be. Yeah. Yeah, those are reasons we imitate. What else? Fame, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else? When you want to improve at something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think all of those things are, are some of the reasons, right? Um, for me, I remember very clearly being in, in, uh, in high school and my cousin was sort of like the coolest person that I, that I knew. You know that person that just like, they don't care what anybody thinks, they, they, they dress distinctly different, but everybody else is like, dang, how did they figure that out? And it's just, it's, it's not even what they're wearing, it's just that confidence that people are like, I wish I could have that, right? Because inside, no matter what we project, all of us are, you know, most of the time scared kids, right? You know what I'm talking about? And so that person who seems to not be, you're like, dang, how do I be like that? And so I remember one day, I was wrestling with this whole, like, I, I have, I'm, I'm, I'm punk at the time, right? So I'm trying to, like, how do I rage against everything that everybody likes? And so I'm trying to copy my cousin and be, like, cool like him. And then the most popular girl at school comes up and she's like, oh, I really like the way you dress. And I was like, shoot, now I can't dress this way anymore because that's not punk if the most popular girl at school likes it. I have to change my whole, like, it messed with my world. I was like, but I'm trying to be like my cousin, and he's cool, but now she likes it, and I don't know what the, it was this really confusing thing. Why? Because I wasn't imitating for the right reason, right? I was imitating because of the way that people responded. Somebody said this, the way that they responded to him, I wanted that for myself. I wanted the effects of his confidence by adopting something he dressed like, not something who he was, right? Instead of taking the confidence, I try to take his dress, his clothes, that's, I know, Jonas, once again, he's like, you took his dress? No, I took the way he dressed, Jonas. I'm just being clear here. Let's just make this, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or fast. You're like, you didn't even know that was happening. Cool. All right. When we, Paul makes a statement, we're going to see this later. Paul makes a statement, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And there is a really healthy way of imitation where we're, we're, we're watching somebody who's a step ahead of us. And we're going, oh, that's how you do that. Oh, that's a healthy way to look at that. Oh, that makes sense. The Bible says plans fail for lack of counsel. When we begin to ask other people, hey, what are, what are ways to think about this I'm not thinking about? When we start looking at those things differently, the imitation can be a very healthy and helpful thing. And today we're going to find, as always, that the one that we should be imitating is Jesus. For those jumping into this mid-series, we've been talking about how the gospel, uh, how, how God helps us pursue joy, to fight for a heart and an attitude of joy. He gives us his Holy Spirit in our church family. We've talked about how that pursuit of joy really helps us um, uh, Hold on to the promises that God will rescue and renew all creation through the person and the work of Jesus. How the Holy Spirit works to transform us each and every day. And that exchanging our priorities for God's priorities, we have a healthier set of perspectives that lead us into joy. We talked last week about how we need to have one heart and one mind and be unified as we stand against the things that wage war against the church. But this week, Paul is going to address the focus not from the outside things that we face, 
that stand against unity, but the inside things that stand against unity. And he's going to tell us, hey, this is a sort of 35,000-foot view of like how do we look at things differently to help us really understand how we protect unity as we walk forward uh, because unity is a part of our path to joy. Okay? No, he's going to address the danger from the inside. He's going to give us some practical ways to fight it. But this is a good time to note, a good time to recognize that joy does not come from our Uh, from within us or our circumstances. We can't manufacture our own joy. Why? Because we're not consistent people, right? We're broken, we're flawed, we sin. And so the problem is is if we try to manufacture joy, we, we can do something for a short period of time, but we can't sustain that. If it was based only on our circumstances, then we would only find joy when things are really going well for us, at least as far as we understand, there's sometimes we think things are going really well and we find out they actually weren't and all of a sudden now our joy is compromised. Our joy isn't actually secure. And so we cannot find biblical joy from within us or our circumstances. We have to find true biblical joy in who God is and what God has done. This shapes who we are and what we do. As we live out of that flow, who is God? What has he done? Who does that make us? And now what do we do? We find that joy then is lasting and it's not circumstance dependent. Good? All right, for those taking notes today, this is the big idea for today. The big idea is that true joy is found by glorifying God by enjoying him forever. True joy is found in glorifying God by enjoying him forever. We're going to see today how we glorify God by imitating the humility of Christ. Let's go back and look at the larger passage today. Brooks did a great job reading a couple of verses from it. Let's read chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Join me. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The core of this passage then is what we had Brooks read, and that is verses 3 to 4. Verses 1 to 2 are going to set up for verses 3 to 4, and then verses 5 to 11 are going to help us understand exactly how we accomplish this. So let's take a look then at verses 1 to 2. Again, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Anytime we see the words therefore or so or if then at the beginning of a passage, it's important to note the author then is connecting that part of that scripture back to a previous thought. 
He's helping us see that this is a continuation of thought. And so what is Paul pointing us back to? He's pointing us back to his statement in chapter 1, verse 27. Where Paul says, just one thing. Remember, Paul is in prison. This is possibly the last time he gets to write to the Philippians. He doesn't know if he's going to be executed. So you take this as a deathbed message. Paul is saying, look, if there's nothing else, this is it. And Paul says, just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's it. This is what he's saying. This is what's important. And Paul is pointing us back to this. And Paul says, look, if you do that, then whether I come and see you or I'm absent, if I live or I die, is another way to say that, I'm going to hear about that you're standing firm in one spirit, one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. And so Paul's changing focus now from, from this previous argument about external, and he's focusing on internal issues. And trust me, Paul is well aware of how messed up a church can be. All you have to do is read 1 Corinthians to get that. And he reminds them what this is all about. The most important thing is that as citizens and family members of the kingdom of God, we are to live lives that are worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, if you want to get into more of what that means, again, I highly recommend you look at last week's message. But for now, it's summed up in being unified in our purpose, practice, and process as the Spirit of God works in and through us. In verse 1, I'm sorry, uh, in our first verse for today, Um, Paul says this, he says, yeah, verse one, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation in love, fellowship of the spirit, and affection and mercy. These four statements actually set up for Paul to make an admonishment in verses three to four. So he's saying, look, this consolation of love, uh, I'm sorry, the encouragement of Christ is like solace. It's like comfort. It's like a, a, a salve or a balm to the soul. It's like, hey, when something is agitated, this is what calms it down. We had a great uh, uh, discussion in missional community this week of whether you could get poison ivy or poison oak internally, <laughs> right? Like, what would you do if you got it in your digestive system? How do you itch? That that becomes a really interesting thing. Uh, but this is like this is like that thing that is so hard to comfort. Finding the perfect comfort for it. If you could possibly get poison ivy inside, this would be the one balm or solve that would fix that. The consolation of love that Paul talks about would be like when we are down in these moments of of despair, the moments of heartbreak, it's like Christ himself taking us out for some comfort food. Like the, the word literally means like sitting down with a meal, but not just as a meal, it's a meal where the purpose is for that person to just show how much they care and speak regard and be encouraging to you. It's like somebody just saying, hey, I I, I bless you. Let's just go have the best meal ever. I'm paying for it. I just want you to know how much you're loved. And so that's a second statement. The third one is this fellowship with the Spirit. It's about partnership and participation in a close community. It's about belonging to something exclusive where you are a member and a part of it, but you're an integral part of it. It's, it's, but it's this sense of like, it's so special that, that, that we, we know not only everybody in it, but everybody knows us intimately. It's like belonging to a special, it's, think of it this way, it'd be like having a, 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 an elite membership to Club 33, Affection and mercy, that last statement, is this deep awareness, uh, sympathy, compassion, empathy, concern. Not just all of us have the friends who are, you're like, man, I'm really hurting. They're like, yeah, me too. You want to get some pizza? You're like, okay, that's cool, but can I just tell you how I feel first? Oh, yeah, yeah, but you know, I had a hard week, and all of a sudden it becomes about them, right? This is not that. 
Paul's statement here is the opposite of that. It's like somebody who is like, oh man, I'm so sorry. Let me ask you questions to draw out what you're really feeling because I really want to hear. I, I really empathize with what you're going about. And so Paul makes these four statements saying, look, if we know we have solace and Christ's comfort, his personal regard and love, the fellowship of the Spirit in the church with all empathy and concern, okay, we know that's to be true, then, then I'm going to make this kind of hard statement. We have to be united for one purpose. What's that purpose? Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so he says, here's one of the ways, church, that we don't live unified, living our lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is verse 4. You can hear in this this admonition. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. And that's the hard part. Hey, guys, some of the stuff you're doing is actually out of selfish ambition and conceit. He says, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. That word selfish ambition uh, is actually a word that means a strong drive for personal success. Why why is that bad? A strong drive for personal success, but it, it, it actually includes this at the expense of others. It's the idea of finding our significance, our value, our worth, and importance through how hard we work to get ourselves there. Now, again, some of us might think, well, what's the problem? If I'm not going to take care of me, no one else will. So so what's the big deal? I don't get it. I mean, it's dog eat dog, right? If I don't take care of me, I'm going to get trampled on. What's the the deal? And, And I'll be really honest, right? Especially here in this city, we're taught if you don't do something for yourself, no one is going to do it for you, Right? Can't expect me to be successful by lying down and expecting others to promote me. What's wrong with a little self-promotion anyway? And this is exactly what Paul is pushing back against in the church. It's the opposite of what us as citizens, family members, the kingdom of God are called to. Why? Because we have to go back to our starting premise. That true joy is found in glorifying God by enjoying him forever. In his book, Desiring God, Pastor John Piper quotes... Blaise Pascal, C.S. Lewis, and his own thoughts when he writes this, so I'm merging three different quotes together because it's a longer passage. He says this, All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both attended with different views. They will never take the least step but to this object. He writes, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward... And the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds desires not too strong, but our desires too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. And then he writes this, worship is basically adoration, and we adore only what delights us. There is no such thing as sad adoration or unhappy praise. I found that the goodness of God, the very foundation of worship, is not a thing you pay your respects to out of some kind of disinterested reverence. No, it's something to be enjoyed. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, Psalm 34, 8. As C.S. Lewis says, God in the Psalms is the all-satisfying object. His people adore him unashamedly for the exceeding joy they find in him. He's a source of complete and unending pleasure. In the presence 
In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy right hand there are pleasures forever. Psalm 16, 11. See, family, whatever we can get or claim for ourselves by our own power will never be as good as what comes from God. It will never be as good. In God's kingdom, true joy comes not from elevating ourselves, but from elevating Christ, from considering Christ as better or more important than ourselves. In fact, when we take a look at Jesus' statement, the two commands that he said are above all else, what is it? We hear him say all the law and the prophets are wrapped up. It's love God, elevate God, make him more important than anything else. And the second is to love people in the same way. Elevating Christ and elevating others is exactly what Paul is trying to get us to. He's simply coming back to the words of Jesus. See, in God's kingdom, joy is not an individual thing, but a communal thing. We find joy as we find it together. It's an elevation of something over self. We learn how to elevate things above ourselves. Now, I want to make an important distinction. Gospel humility isn't thinking less of yourself. Gospel humility is thinking of yourself less often, right? Self-deprecation is wrong. What I mean by that is like, I'm stupid, I'm horrible, I'm dumb. Those things are not right. How do we know? Because God designed you and made you and created you. And so when you self-deprecate, you're calling something that God said is good, not good. So I'm not talking about we have to put ourselves down. That's not what this is. Okay? Jesus gives us value and worth. We don't have to find that significance, value, worth, and importance in what we do, but in who he is. And so we look to elevate others and value Jesus over everything. Look, that even then helps us see why self-care is so important. You know, I, I came to a place in my life where I realized that I didn't love myself. How could I possibly love my neighbors if I don't even know what it means to love myself? And so God calls us to have self-love, not because we've done something to deserve it, because God made us and God is good and God has declared us good, therefore we are worthy and have value. Again, we don't have to find that significance, value, worth, or importance, or success in what we do, but in who he is and who he has declared us to be as citizens and family members. That is an incredible thing. That is an incredible thing, that that, that value, that worth, isn't dependent on what we do. Family, that's freeing. That should bring us joy in and of itself. It's incredible. We are elevated in Christ so that we can elevate others in Christ. Henry Nouwen once said that we're like communion. We're blessed to be broken, to be given. That's exactly what we are called to be. But how do we actually do this? How do we live it out? How do we figure out, right? I could sit here and tell you, hey, guys, be humble in this. You don't need to be humble in that. Be humble in this. Uh, that's iffy. Right? I give you scenarios, but that doesn't teach us how to actually make right choices. So we have to understand the principle behind it in order to figure out, Lord, how do I do this? How do I actually elevate others in your name? Paul says we have the perfect example in Jesus, and so we're to model ourselves after him if we want to see unity and health, especially within the church. You guys with me so far? Okay, for those taking notes, this brings us to our first and final observation for the day. We have one point today. It's much better than the days we have no point, so that's good. Um, point number one, uh, the first observation, we glorify God by imitating the humility of Christ. We glorify God by imitating the humility of Christ. Okay, if we find joy in glorifying God and enjoying forever, then how do we do it? Paul says we imitate Christ. Look with me at verses 5 to 11. Adopt the same attitude as that of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus 
who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. That word is slave. That is, the, the, it's, it's, can't get around it. That's the word slave. Taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and with every tongue, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God, the Father. We've been talking about how the Holy Spirit replaces our, think, our previous way of thinking with new ways of thinking in, in a healthy faith. And Paul is calling on us to practice this new way of thinking, to elevate others. I have a friend named Bill who has uh, been CEO of several Fortune 500 companies. And he said that throughout his career, whenever he ran into a particularly horrible boss, somebody that was just terrible, instead of doing the end around, instead of trying to make Bill look good, instead of going and, and like, okay, well, you know, I'll just do my own thing, I'll be separate. Bill actually went out of his way to make that horrible boss look really, really good. Here's what happened every single time. Bill said without fail, that guy would get promoted and he would bring Bill up with him. Now, you're going like, that sounds terrible. You're stuck with the person, right? But eventually what happened was people began to figure out that it was every single time. It was not the person that got promoted. It was Bill. And eventually that person's stuff came to light. And guess who was promoted to their spot? And eventually Bill was. Bill never had to put that person down. He never had to talk bad about them. He never had to put them in their place. He never had to be vindictive. Actually, by promoting them, Bill actually got promoted and ended up promoting above all of them because people saw how he handled even those difficult things. It gave him more credit in the end than if he had tried to use self-promotion. Do you guys see what I'm talking about? Now, it seems so foreign to us because it's like, I am not going to help somebody else get promoted. That does that. I'm going to get screwed. The, the reality is, is that what was Bill trusting in? Was Bill trusting in his abilities or is he trusting that God would take care of him? And the truth is that God always takes care of us, even if it doesn't always work out the exact way we had planned but God always is faithful. He never abandons us. He always takes care of us. And Bill was recognizing that, and so he acted honorably, and it brought him way more credit and character uh, and integrity. That's what he was known for um, instead of if he had done that all on his own. You see, it's counterintuitive, but so is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is counterintuitive. See, the God of all the universe who spoke everything into existence when faced with our treasonous rebellion didn't just wipe us out and start over. He could have. He should have. But instead, he humiliated himself by taking on human nature in addition to his God nature. Verse 5, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he has come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Okay, this is a very important part of our scripture, not just for today, but, but period. First, the word form, taking on the form in verses six and seven is exactly the same word. Okay, so who existed in the form of God and emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. It's the exact same word. It means to be fully, truly, and permanently 
the essence of what something is. So it's not a representation of, a facsimile or a copy of. It's basically saying that Jesus is fully, truly, and permanently God. He always has been. And that he is now fully, truly, and permanently human. He always will be. Okay? That's what that passage is saying. He became human. He is truly God and truly man. Not 50% human, 50% God. Not 100% God just appearing in human form. He's not two people in one. Jesus is both truly God and truly man and still in one person. The big Christianese word for this is called hypostatic union. Say hypostatic union. union. That's the hardest thing you'll say all day. How does it work? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. It just says it's true, right? We don't have to believe how. Because the Bible didn't give us a reason how. We just have to understand that this is what the Bible says is true. Well, wouldn't the, the, the nature of God, character, uh, uh, overshadow the human nature? Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it like this. What then does all this mean? It means that there was no change in his deity, but that he took human nature to himself and chose to live in this world as a man. He humbled himself in that way. He deliberately put limits on himself. Now, we cannot go further. We don't know how he did it. We cannot understand it in a sense. But we believe this, that in order to live, that in order that he might live this life as a man, while he was here on earth, he did not exercise certain qualities of, a God, of his Godhead. That was why he needed to be given the gift of the Holy Spirit without measure. Another pastor once gave an analogy that might help us understand. He says this. He says, an analogy of this would be a general manager of a resort who brings his family for a vacation week He puts his general manager access key with all of its powers, rights, and privileges in his pocket, and he only uses the guest access key. For the duration of the week, he is fully the general manager but lives authentically as a guest. Okay, why do we talk about this? Look, understanding what Jesus did really helps us understand to the extent we are to lay down our rights and our privileges. I'm not saying we come to a place where we don't have rights and privileges. I'm saying we constantly seek to see others blessed and cared for and elevated in the name of Jesus. I'm saying that we trust the God who knows and understands our needs will elevate us in turn so we don't have to elevate ourselves. I'm saying that Jesus didn't ask us to do what he didn't already do himself. Not only does Jesus humble himself to the extreme by taking on human nature, but he goes further and takes the penalty that we deserve on himself. He willingly suffers brutal beating, suffering, torture, death to bring the Father glory, to become our path for rescue, redemption, and renewal. Family, the other day I was really struggling with some of the weight that this pastor job carries. I was feeling sorry for myself and and frankly I was wondering if this sacrifice was worth it. And then I was hanging out with my son. For those of you who don't know, Chance is 19. He's got Down syndrome, autism, and a seizure disorder. He's still in diapers, uses a wheelchair because of the seizures, and used to have about 30 words, but the seizure disorder stole those words from him, and so now he has to communicate by pictures alone. He takes five different medications twice daily. He can communicate less than he understands, which must be extremely frustrating. And yet this kid endures with joy, not because of his circumstances, because that's exactly who God designed him to be, full of joy. Family, when Paul tells us in verse 5 to adopt the same attitude of that Christ, he's calling on us to pursue a different set of values, to find joy, to elevate others, to seek others as more important than ourselves, to elevate Jesus first 
to change our way of thinking. Just like how my attitude has to change when I look at my son, Paul is telling us the way that we fight to have joy is by looking to Jesus and imitating Jesus. That's how we do it. When we focus on glorifying God instead of ourselves, when we elevate Jesus and others in true gospel humility, we find joy as we live in our purpose as citizens of heaven, worthy of the gospel of Christ, which is what Paul is calling us to. But as a reminder, we don't do this by ourselves. That's the good news. We don't do this by ourselves. The Bible says that he gave us the Holy Spirit and the church to walk together as family. Good? Let's pray. Lord, you are amazing. You are so holy. You are so good. Praise be to you, Lord, that everything we have, everything we are is not based on our effort, our energy, that our identity isn't set based on our hard work but on who you are and what you've done. Help us to truly believe, Lord, we believe, help us in our unbelief. Move in us and through us in the name of Jesus.